runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 666, Python and SQL Server with guest Julie Smith. Recorded Friday, November 1st, 2019. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us online at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Julie Smith, who has been moving and bending data for 20 years using a variety of tools such as Access, MySQL, SQL Server, Azure Data Factory, the Azure SQL Database, Power BI, and most recently, Python. She has built and designed data solutions for organizations across multiple industries in her role as principal consultant at Improving Enterprises in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I I feel like we've been one person removed in the sort of SQL community for a while. So I'm I'm glad to to finally have you on because clearly you've been you've been in this for a bit, you know, data. This this list of tools reminds me of my list of tools. Yeah, and it's kind of the progression. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but uh yeah, I I was looking at your at your previous shows and I have um known many of the people that you've talked to in the past for a long time. So yes. I definitely think we've probably run into most of the same people. <laughs> Maybe even in the same parties, just at different ends of the room. Yeah. That's that's what happens, yeah. those big those big events. Uh, so you're a legit SQL person. You've worked in all these different Microsoft toolings and so forth. Python seems almost like an odd duck. Am I wrong there? How, how does Python fit into this equation? Well, because I am constantly looking for easier ways to do things. Um, I have said for a while, jokingly, I've been interviewed and said, um, if, if machine learning and AI can put me out of a job as an ETL developer, I'm happy to have it happen. Right. Uh, yeah, because, you know, ETL work is often such drudgery and so perilous, you know, where it is, it is the area where data warehousing and reporting projects can can fail. And so I've constantly thought to myself, oh, all of this, all of this hand wringing and looking at the data and trying to cleanse it and find the business logic. Um, it can go wrong so quickly um, after so much work. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I've just been looking for better ways uh, to do things. And, you know, the, the pressure on machine learning AI to um, data science, you know, there's been buzz, the big data buzz, and that's been around for, you know, five years, definitely, maybe even a little bit more than that. But it just got to be uh, so prevalent. And, and so I started to, to take a look at it. And, you know, then just quickly realized that it's, I mean, it's an immense field. What I am finding is that Python is a much, much much broader language than SQL. SQL is so specific. Sure. But I would also call that a strength of SQL too, right? Like it is made for a particular task and it's good at that right. task. You, there's, you know, there's a reason why they integrated .NET into SQL Server, what, 2005? If you need more language, that was an approach. Not that I recommend that approach. They turn it off by default for a reason. But it's like, you know, T-SQL <laughs> can't do all the things. Right. I mean, you know, it's... It, SQL, the relational database management system is ideal for, you know, these 
um, transactional models mm-hmm. where you have control over the data, but we often, so often wind up with uh, multiple systems and, you know, it kind of comes, comes back around to in my world of master data. So, you know, the know your customer, the customer 360, right? Well, your customer is you know, your customer is represented in four or five different systems and their name is spelled differently. And even if they have the same address, maybe it's actually a father and a son with the same name. Yeah. And you just so quickly get into uh, master data management, data governance issues that what you wind up doing is, is um, kind of laboring over batches of data to try and come up with rules and updates that will cleanse it. And, in that instance, even though the data is in SQL, it is not the best language to be performing those tasks with. No, it's definitely a battle. And the consequence here, if you get it wrong, I mean, you've done this long enough, you've had this experience, is you yeah. present incorrect data to the powers that be only once. Yep. And the moment they yep. realize the data is incorrect, they will question everything that comes out of that machine ever after that. Like, it's very hard to get that trust back. Absolutely. That is, that is like the, the highest pillar and it is the truth. And so much work, um, in warehousing and reporting is lost. So much money is lost. And, and honestly, so much blame gets cast mm-hmm. on the people who are doing that work and are doing such hard work. Uh, it, it, but it is just so easy for data to get, um, to, well, to stay dirty, I always say you either have dirty data or you're a liar. You yes. know, I mean, I just don't see. <laughs> All data is dirty. Do you know where your dirt is? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how? Do you know where the yeah. dirt is happening? Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I was like, honestly, so, so, so tired of, of, of the constant struggle and, and just open to, well, let me, let me start looking at this mm-hmm. and people love it. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I just laugh is you hear it all the time with people who do Python is I did this, I did it in three lines of code. And it's so funny um, because it becomes almost a cliche, but then you start working with Python and you're like, by, by God, they, yeah, that's right. You can do this in three lines of code. They're not exaggerating, but I mean, and I've, I've done enough software development that it's like, I'm big on the three lines of code. That's great. The question is when you look at those three lines a year from now, do they make sense mm-hmm. to you still? Like often terseness like that is also somewhat opaque. Like it's hard to understand what's going on here. Uh, I would say no, because it's it's pretty clear what an unpivot is going to do. Yep. Good word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that is a great example of um, unpivot and pivot. And if you do that in SQL, uh, especially if you have to do something dynamically, that's going to be, that is going to be okay. Sure. You know, there are people who write SQL who ne- don't learn how to write pivots and unpivots. Um, but in Python, yeah, it's going to be one line of code. It's going to be obvious. Um, so yeah, very, very great little language. And, you know, I talk about Python. I have two presentations that I've been doing this year. And I think that's how you found me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I learned about Python was that, um, Guido Rossum uh, was the inventor of Python in 1991. Oh, wow. And he named it after, do you know? Do you know? This little... I presume the snake, right? No. 
He named it after Monty Python. Uh, Monty Python's Fine Circus. All right, he can stay. <laughs> I know. And 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 you don't know this about me, but my friends know this about me that I am the quintessential obnoxious Monty Python quote giver. Okay. Um. So. <laughs> so we could spend the I'm rest of the show just quoting Monty Python to each other. Like that. That's okay. Yeah, and so <laughs> exactly. Like I, I've actually caught myself and said, "Okay, I need to stop yeah. because now I'm getting into obscure, no John Cleese line circus episodes, and no one's listening anymore." But uh, when I found that out, uh, I was like, this, "This is definitely the clincher between you know the uh, the often the other language that gets mentioned in the same breath with Python is R." Right. Um. So it's kind of like you know you know sequel, and then you are doing um. Uh, the the analysis and the modeling you often are doing it with Python or R. Well, I I'm skipping R because I'm just going to stick with Python. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was named after Monty Python, and the reason was because uh, uh, this guy loved Monty Python, of course, because of course he loved Monty Python. They're awesome, and uh, and he wanted it to be fun and easy to learn and easy to read. So it's it's literally a goal of the foundation of the language is to be easy to read which is a huge long explanation to a very simple question you asked me about four minutes ago. <laughs> now, I mean, again, m most folks that are working with SQL Server are working in the SQL Studio, and that's where their editor is. That's where they write their expression and so forth. How do you go about writing Python and relating it to data? Great question. So one of the, the things that you will learn quickly when you start working with Python, especially in data, is what I talk about as the notebook experience. So there are a lot of um, IDEs that present a notebook experience. And Jupyter is the one that I use, and that's spelled J-U-P-Y-T-E-R. Um, and you can get that, I think, from jupyter.org. You can also just download Anaconda from anaconda.org. And Anaconda is a distribution of Python. And that will get you all the data science packages that are really popular, including Jupyter. Um, and a notebook experience is very common among data scientists, people who do analysis, maybe not operationalizing it. And it gives you um, the ability to um, write your code in chunks and then the results stay in memory. So it's kind of like if you're a SQL Server person and you're used to working in SSMS, you often do this, but you know that you might have to put comments and say, okay, highlight this and run this. Right. And now... If I want to, if I want to maintain it or um, persevere it, I have to either put it in a temp table or I have to rewrite it with a CPE. Um, so that's one way that people work with Python. Um, the other thing that I, I learned and then I now tell people, cause I'm, sh I'm sharing my journey as I'm learning Python in, as it relates to da um, data mm -hmm. is that the package that is probably the most important one for learning data is pandas. So that is a package that comes with Python. And what it does is it enables you to, all these packages, you always import the package and then you alias it and then you start working with it and its methods. And when you work with pandas, it turns your data, let's say you, um, you uh, turn a CSV file into a data frame using pandas. And then that's the golden moment where the light bulb clicks for data people because then it's like a table. Right. And you're saying p 
pandas as in the the bear-like creature that eats bamboo pandas? Yes, the cute, lovable, black and white little uh, Chinese bear creature. Exactly. It's- yeah, apparently cute from a distance, but kind of hazardous up close like most bears. Yes. Do not <laughs> crawl into the enclosure no, with mistake, the panda. Mistake. <laughs> but, I, you know, I love the array of names. I'm just, you know, grabbing for the show notes, Python, Jupiter, Anaconda, pandas. Like, there's an animal theme here, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's adorable. Anaconda is a species or a, a breed or a subspecies of Python. Right. And th- so you've got that. Um, and th- But that going back to Python being a... Um, it is a multifunctional, very broad language. Yeah. There are also, you know, web uh, distributions and, and you know, it's it's got a multi-use, whereas R is very specifically yes. for data science. But, and I, and I yeah. kind of like that. I mean, I've used Python for scripting behavior for stuff like home automation and things. The fact that it works mm-hmm. well with data analytics. Like, I appreciate going into something like the Jupyter Notebooks and things, which this is specifically about you. Python is the language, but this is the environment you work in to focus on largely ETL tasks? Is that the main thing you're doing with Python is just cleaning and organizing data? So I'm still cleaning and organizing data because for me that resonates the most. And that is the thing that since I do that already, that's going to help me the most. And I got to tell you, it hurts me when you say I'm an ETL developer because it just sounds so sad. That that that's that's everything. Just you just once you load, you're done. Like tell me, you get to do the analysis too, because that's the I fun do. part. No, I do. Okay, <laughs> I do everything. I do everything, and I do lots of um of the um oh what the semantic model. I and it, you're right, and I have been called out for doing that because people are saying, you know, you're not giving yourself enough credit because you are a data architect. So I've thank you, Richard. You're right. Uh, I just find that I spend so much time there, um, and hence that's why I am trying to do it in a better way. Well, and I say this, there's an honesty to saying that because it is the majority of time often. Like if the data is nice and tidy, you, you often can find remarkable things in it and not, and not in a lot of time. So there, I, I, I get it. It still made me sad. I didn't, I didn't want to, I know. Well, I know it was 15 minutes ago, but it still makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me sad too. Uh, and it, it is just a bad habit, honestly. But the goal, the real goal of, of data science, which is the allure of, of, of Python for data, mm-hmm. is that you are going to build actual models that can do things for you like uh, predict outcomes mm-hmm. or you know, the very fancy things like, uh, you know, these, these, these languages have packages, algorithms, you know, that enable the, the self-driving cars all the way down to that, right. you know, so I'm not, I'm definitely not there yet, but uh, I did have the opportunity uh, to work with the team here at Improving where we were working with and I have to be very careful because, you know, not to give anything away, but, right. but, but the, the data was about people who owed money mm-hmm. and they had a history of certain elements of the data, like, you know, where the person lived, their age, um, you know, the event that occurred that made the, um, the bill happen in the first place. And they had a history 
of what what which records paid. You mm-hmm. know, if we just want to look at it as rows of data, then you have a set of attributes, which which rows paid and how much. And then the idea was that we continue to get the same data, only we don't have the payment outcome. Right. And right. And so we we, you know, went through this exercise. It was it was so fun and it was about three or four of us. And that was when I worked with um, the, the guy at improving, he was like, never roll your own, never roll your own. Right. Um, and you know, we were able to build a model that we could say, these are the, these are the folks who are most likely to pay. And so you're thinking about, okay, you have to devote limited resources to trying to obtain payment. Yeah. And And so, and if you have, a million rows and a hundred people, you want to make sure that they're going to spend their time first initially on the ones that are most likely to pay. That Prado's law applies, right? There's an, there's an 80, 20 here. That's going to make sense to for you to focus mm-hmm. on to get the most return. Uh, and I have to interrupt for yeah. one moment for this very important message. Your app stores data in SQL server, but your queries aren't as fast as you'd like. Your users are getting frustrated and you're wondering, is there maybe a database problem? Could I make this whole thing go faster without changing the queries? Brent Ozar can show you how with scripts, online training classes, and hands-on help. Get a free health check today at brentozar.com. And we're back. This is Richard Campbell. You're listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Julie Smith. We're talking a bit about the relationship between Python and SQL Server, especially in data analytics, and the, the wonders that are ETL and doing it well. Uh, you were just sort of exploring this, you know, I think a very sensitive subject, especially when we talk about these machine learning uh, outcomes mm-hmm. where, you know, earlier we mentioned you've, you've built a report where the totals came up wrong and um, a business person could see the totals are wrong and now they question the whole thing. But when you start doing predictive analytics around these are the people that we should approach as customers or, as, you know, money we're going to collect, mm-hmm. are we doing a good job of that? Are we increasing the likelihood of collection? You know, managing biases and data, I think, is a is a huge topic. Yes, it is. Managing the biases and data. And, and I was listening to... Um, I would not be the person to talk about that yet because I'm not far along enough sure. in my journey to to be able to, uh, accommodate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, uh, that is definitely something to be careful with. Um, but, but that is the goal is in the data science process is that, you know, yes, it's great that for me right now, I'm just doing a lot of data wrangling mm-hmm. and that's what I'm really using the, um, these languages like Python for. But the idea is that you want to be able to build models and then, Ultimately, as I was saying, you, you can operationalize these models and run um, new data through it and get, get these predictives so that you can start steering your business. You can start um, predicting churn and who should I send a coupon or an offer or a promo code to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and the, so it's prevalent. And um, I think that the way that, that you found me, Richard, is that this year I've been speaking on on how R and Python have become integrated into SQL Server. Mm-hmm. Um, so R became integrated with machine learning services in SQL Server 2016. And then in SQL Server 2017, they integrated Python in. And the reason for that is, is because I talked earlier about the notebook experience. And often what everyone was hearing is that the, the group of data scientists are 
you know, sweating over their notebooks and doing their analysis and finding their great discoveries, but they were literally having to pull from SQL Server and put their data into a CSV file because maybe that's what they were used to. Well, you know, that's not incredibly secure. That's only as secure as your network or your VPN or, you know, you could have, you could have issues there. So I think it's a great idea to put these languages right into, um, into the product that the data may be lying in. So you have less, uh, you know, transit, so to speak, where you could be risking the data and also, and I'm sure it's faster and more efficient. So, so is there, there's literally an install in SQL Server to include Python? Yes. Yes. It, as you go through the the installation dialog, uh, it is a feature. It, there's um, there's the machine learning services, mm-hmm. and then there's uh, two sub-choices. So you can do one or either or both. You can do R or Python if you have um, 2017. Right. And, uh, and then, and then once, you, once you have that, then you just use a special store procedure that becomes available with that. And then you um, can do Python or R scripts right there in SSMS. Interesting. So, but at the same time, you have this uh, Project Jupyter and the Jupyter Notebooks. Is that where you're, you're polishing your, your, the Python that you would eventually put into SQL Server? Yeah, that's what I recommend. Okay. Because that IDE is so suited to the language. And SSMS, it's really not. If you look at a sample script, um, you definitely would not want to refine your Python as you're nesting it inside a an external store procedure in SSMS, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna copy and paste it. You're gonna have a sample set or whatever um, other IDE you use. Um, some people don't like the notebook experience. Some people use uh, another IDE called Spider. Um, there's one called PyCharm, um, and they have different features. Um, so Spider and PyCharm give you the ability to install packages into your Python installation on your local machine without having to use the command line. So, you know, there's different features available. Like some of my colleagues do everything in PyCharm and some do in Spider. I'm the one who likes the notebooks. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you're allowed to tell us. It's okay. It. There's more tools. Yeah. I just like that there is more tools. Uh, PyCharm is the, the, the JetBrains tool. They make all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to Microsoft because Microsoft now has Azure Data Studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is Microsoft's notebook experience. Um, so a, a lot of SQL people who do the kinds of things that I was alluding to where maybe you have a, a great big, just a .sql script file that you open up and you run when you have a certain, maybe a problem that you're troubleshooting production. Okay, run this. Okay, run that. And it's got comments and then highlight this. You can put that in a notebook and it could be like a playbook. Uh, even for a DBA. Nice. So I'm excited about the notebook experience uh, in general. I think it's awesome. Well, I just like to do, don't let the tooling hold you back. There's tons of choice here. And mm-hmm. and then in the end, you can simply embed it as part of a, of a, a T-SQL query in, in, in uh, SQL Server. So um, I'm thinking about the pipeline mm-hmm. of production and thinking, do I need to include Python pieces there? But if it's already integrated in, to SQL Server 2017 and above, then it's just more code I add to the regular pipeline. Exactly. Yep. And you can put it in your store procedure and then call it with an agent job and you are running Python as part of a process that is running all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, thinking for in context of ETL, 
what about SSIS? Like, uh, this seems like a completely different approach to it. Well, I think, and I haven't played with this, but I am sure that you could just put a, a .py script into a control flow of an SSIS package mm-hmm. as well. Um, you just have to make sure that um, uh, that it's a, it's installed right. and that the packages are installed on whatever machine that you're going to run it on. So if you prefer that visual workflow of SSIS, which I, some people really like that. I, I, I'm a little more mm-hmm. command liney, but then I write a fair bit of code. Um, but if you like that visual thing, the fact that you could have one of them say invoke this Python script, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Doesn't leave anybody out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just like a, like a, a script task or a script. I don't believe you. I don't know if you could put it in a script component. Hmm. I should check on that because that would be interesting too. I mean, you could just wrap um, it in a stored procedure. Like there's, there's lots of ways we could make this happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, SQL servers living in Linux now too. Like it's a strange new world. <laughs> that's, that's the thing is it's dizzying. And what I find is that every technology gets embedded in every other technology. Sure. More and more. I it's think that's true. What, yeah. So you've got everything everywhere. You've got Python and SQL Server. You've got Python and Power BI. You've got um, you know SQL Server on Linux. It's uh, it's becoming it's uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a little overwhelming because then you have to decide what is really the best way to do it. And I and I really appreciate your sentiment of before you write anything, search because odds are somebody else has solved a problem similar to yours, and you don't need yeah. to code that. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there particular places like uh, looking at Anaconda Cloud and, and, and even Project Jupiter? Like it sounds like this, these are also sort of social media type sites for people who use these tools and, and share their stuff. Yeah, that's what you're saying is right. There's, it's very prevalent in the open source community. In fact, there's a site called Kaggle that runs contests and you can create an account and they put problems out there with data sets and uh, they judge, you know, who came up with the best solution, and uh, and then of course it's a great place to get ideas and um, and sample code. Yeah, you, I did a show about Kaggle some time ago, and one of the thoughts I had was if you're new into machine learning or you're trying to convince your boss, take your you can also submit one of your problems as a competition. Mm-hmm. And that that to me is really interesting because then it's then it's no longer you trying to convince your employer of your ability to do this, but just to show, look, the technology is capable of this. Let's take this problem space you just asked me about. Let's package up in a way where we sufficiently private, push it up into the competition with some compensation. I, the the winnings for these are not huge, but they're they're also right. not zero. Although, geez, I just popped open Kaggle and it's like. Oh, the data science bowl is $160,000. Holy man. <laughs> but, wow, yeah. Yeah, the, you could pick a smaller one or even a free one and just see that you get four or five completely different results, you know, or completely different approaches to comparable results. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so, yeah, so this year, I just want to, like, I just kind of sharing you my journey. Mm-hmm. Um the reason that we're talking to get today. Uh, so I started out the year talking about Python and R, but mostly Python inside SQL Server. And then Python became uh, available with Power BI as well. And I don't know how familiar you are with Power BI, Richard. We've done a few like, shows. Used it, opened, done a few shows. 
it's it, you know it's it's fantastic you just you open up some you open up the settings and you just say yes I want to use python and then you're able to do python visuals which is a whole other area of of packages that I haven't even mentioned but wow. there are the ability to visualize your data so quickly and again there's just hundreds of options that you just it's two or three lines of code and and you can visualize your data um, and you can embed these visualizations in Spider and PyCharm and, of course, in your notebooks. Um, so, again, with data profiling, you get a better, it's, you know, instead of having to slave over the data and then maybe plug it into something that you could do a visualization with, some other reporting tool, it's all right there. And they're more robust than a lot of uh, visualizations that you'll find in visualization tools. So, that's available there. In Power BI, you can do these visualizations. You can also just connect a, um, a data source. You can just do a Python script as a data source mm-hmm. as long as it's a data frame and just bring it into Power BI. You can put little snippets in the middle of your, of your Power Query code. And so I'm like, okay, that's cool. If I'm a, I was, cause again, I'm trying to think, well, why did they do this? Why did Microsoft want to do this? I'm like, okay, it's fun. And I can see if someone, is a Power BI user and now they've got another tool and I'm like, okay, that's great. Or if maybe the boss sees a Python visualization that they just love, now I could just put it in a Power BI report rather than having to try and reverse engineer it. Yeah, yeah. But then, so that's cool in and of itself. Those are all great reasons to have done this. Well, and if, and if I remember correctly, Power BI comes with your Office 365 E5 account. So you may already own this tool. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. It comes with, if you have E5, mm-hmm. then you have Power BI Pro users right. um, just out of the bag. So everybody has this and you can collaborate. Um, but as I was planning, and it was honestly, I had done the presentation a few times before I realized the, the coolest reason why it's amazing to have a Python visualization inside Power BI. Mm-hmm. And that's because... I can then put those slicers and dicers, you know, because everything in Power BI visualizations interact. Right. So I can I can have a um, uh, like one of my favorite visualizations is the bee swarm plot, and I can put that in my Power BI report, and then I can put a filter on it that's from a different data set that's just like the date from the date dimension. Put a slicer, and they can slice it. Whereas if I were doing that in a notebook, I would have had to rewrite my um, my data frame and say filter it. Nice. So the stuff is built in, right? So so that's super cool. And I, and I appreciate it's like you you're sort of walking through a progression here. Right? Started with Python, just doing the ETL stuff, and then suddenly it's like, oh, this integrates with Power BI, and I can do visualizations of it too. So I don't have to start over or redo anything or import anything. I just continue down the path I'm on. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and it is just the, uh, like I said, it's just that everything is everywhere. So I've got, <laughs> you know, I've got Python in my, in my backend. I've got it in my ETL, but mm-hmm. I'm also realizing that it's this incredibly powerful visualization tool as well. And like, well, I do visualizations in Power BI. So, you know, it, it has been a really fun, fun journey. And I'm definitely still just beginning. Awesome. So uh, where do you send folks to get started where they, or when they want to find out more? So you want to download Anaconda onto your local machine and you want to start a notebook and 
the, the first thing that I started doing is just look up, and I don't have a great source for this, mm-hmm. but look up using pandas and just start approaching pandas data frames as if they are tables. And, uh, and then think to yourself, what is something that I am trying to do that I'm, that takes a long time to do with SQL? Right. And, uh, and, and start experimenting. Um, you probably already have, because this is, this is every, every person I talk to in my field, in my, in my office and my client site, they've heard enough buzzwords and hype about data science that they, they do have a thing that they're thinking, oh, I could use it for that. Sure. I should be able to use that. I'd love to get some data science people in here and see if we could do X, you know? And so then, like, like Eli said, that was, that was his name. Um, you know, then Google it and see how to do it. Look at Kaggle. Uh, the problem is almost that there's too much information yeah. and different ways of doing it and different levels of expertise when you do find samples. So, at that point, then just start hitting things with a stick until they work. Right. Well, and I, if I remember correctly, yeah. Kaggle's sort of reference practice project is figuring out who will survive the Titanic sinking. And many of them are quite morbid. <laughs> yeah, don't, 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 what that is. They are looking for survivors. So, you know. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft had one for a long time that was like uh, identifying tumors. And I'm like, okay, Lovely. this is a little dark. I mean, it's important, but... <laughs> Uh, that's funny. I, I I did did do some due diligence on a startup that was identifying skin cancer lesions, and the the crazy part was in the end it, it seems sort of moot because if you identify if you look at any you know bump on your skin and worry that it's skin cancer, the correct answer invariably is remove it, not yeah. take pictures of it and debate whether or not it might be cancer. So it, yeah, it's it's funny that some of these things, but. You know, tools are tools, and and the fact that folks have practiced and di- built a bunch of examples of doing machine learning against the Titanic disaster uh, is just fascinating because it gives you something to to work with, like just some data to, to explore if you don't want to necessarily dig into your company data. But I would hope at some point you just switch over to your own stuff and start experimenting. But that's, yeah. that suite yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Anaconda, which is free to download with the pan. And mm-hmm. there's a, there, I found the docs here. It's like a whole section about installing and running pandas in Anaconda. And that is now you sort of put together a suite for data manipulation analysis. You, you're on your way. You are on your way. You're on your way. And you can get SQL Server 2017 as developer edition for free. Right. And you can experiment using it there. Python desktop. I'm sorry. Power BI desktop is a free download. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if someone, if, if you're really, like, if you love SSIS and you love GUI-driven or low-code solutions, then I would suggest look at um, machine learning. Right. Because it is, it is that. It, it, it goes through the same things. And perhaps you can back your way into it. Maybe you can say, oh, I've done this in machine learning with icons and drag and drop and connectors, mm-hmm. you know, in between my, my uh, workflow or I'm sorry, I, you know, chunks of functionality, chunks of code. Mm-hmm. And then you could start learning how to do it in Python. I mean, I actually am a person who I don't code as much. I came into data from not computer science, not programming. Sure. So I do more data. 
So I was a big fan of SSIS and don't do as much coding as a lot of people that I work with. Um, but I actually have found that I, I've, I've done fine with Python. It's, it's been fun. Um, but I would suggest that if you get overwhelmed with the coding aspect of it, well, maybe you want to look at machine learning sure. and uh, get the gist of it mm-hmm. and, and work with someone else. I mean, that was, we got the most out of it uh, here at Improving when we, we had a, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. We had yeah. a, a lot of people working on this on this project, and uh, well, and the developer crowd really talks really about the pair programming model, and they and the big reason there is one person's hands on keyboard trying to write the code, and so they tend to be head down in the trying to work on the problem space, and the other person is a little more head up. Are we stuck? Should we go search for mm-hmm. some alternative solutions? Like it, it's it's amazing how well two people collaborating over a problem works, especially when you're learning. Mm-hmm. So no, indeed, I, I, indeed, I, I and it's, it's a it's a thing that a lot of pro and myself included I could be guilty of. I don't want to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want them to think I'm stupid. Blah blah blah. But yeah. no, it's uh, it, that is one of the liberating things about today's uh, pace of advancement in technology. I mean, there's never been a better time to get rid of imposter syndrome <laughs> because everyone is feeling it. Yeah. Well, it's something about the two of you sitting together, both feeling like imposters, but you also yeah. makes it way more acceptable to go, we need some help. You know? yeah. <laughs> Let's go get some help. Let's call Charlie. That's it. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very powerful. Well, this is a ton of fun. I, I really like this approach to sort of diving into taking advantage of the power of Python to, to clean up data and to do better machine learning work. You know, we, we, we need to extract more value from the data we've already gathered. This is clearly an interesting approach to doing so. It is. And, and there's plenty of opportunity for small projects. Uh, you don't have to boil the ocean. You yeah. can find a small one-off project and, and then, then before you know it, you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, as typical of getting into this business in the first place, you get results and people say, okay, get more results. And, uh, and exactly. you're suddenly you're on a path. Uh, Julie Smith, so much fun to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.